0: Hello, just me again. Just uh, been making a lot of dinners lately. <coughs> I uh, made a tilapia for dinner tonight with a. I've got a butter sauce that I created. So not much that goes into it. <coughs> I just take some lemon pepper and mix it in with some garlic salt and throw it into uh, and bake it for. Em. It's about 20 minutes altogether. Flip it on sides and paste the butter on thick, and uh, usually it comes out pretty good. And this time was no exception. Came out pretty damn good, but that was four hours ago, and now I'm having leftover mashed potatoes. So, anyways, they had that and corn, and kind of boring, right? I'm really boring when I'm domesticated. I kind of like it though. <coughs> Just taking it easy, breathing in a warm environment where I'm not dealing with drama on a regular basis or anything like that. You no, know, my mom and I got into a conversation about apparently while Well, I mean shortly be- I was up here before when I was going through rehab <coughs> and I ended up, um towards the last three months that I was here, the Secret Service had come out, paid me a visit. Now I was at that point this was back in two thousand and 13 beginning of 2013 Shortly before I left the country (coughs) I wasn't entirely happy with the country. And It's not that I wasn't happy with president or anything like that I was really kind of pissed off at Warren Buffett and Some of the people that were on his side like John McCain and you know people like that Now me and my dad what started this whole conversation out tonight was My dad uh, from Arizona you know, he's, he's a firm believer and seems to be a lover of McCain and me. You know, well, first off, I ended up sleeping with uh, John McCain's lawyer's wife. That was Rachel. So, John McCain had a couple lawyers in his pocket. J.C. J. Gooch, John Chris Gooch, was one of, the ki- one of the guys that he ended up having on his side. And his wife, um, Rachel Gooch, John, uh, uh, J.C. Gooch, I guess you can call him, he was a, um, it was and still is a prominent lawyer over in the, uh, Las, or is it, um, Phoenix area, and, uh, I don't doubt that, uh, between him, McCain, and, you know, whatever, that, uh, my exit and fall from grace, per se, was in part orchestrated through their assistance and everything. But anyways, I ended up, um, I fell in love with, uh, Rachel. absolutely fell head head over heels. I, I know I've talked about it in the past and everything. And, um, I didn't know the relationship that, uh, that her husband had to McCain or anything like that. And McCain became involved and ended up making my life extremely difficult as a result of that. Once, uh, once Rachel and I hooked up a couple times and everything. Now... All this is just, um, you know, it doesn't make a shit of difference or anything like that. But what got my my mom into the conversation tonight was, she was uh, she was just wanting a little bit of information about why the uh, Secret Service had come out. And apparently, when I had left, Secret Service called a couple more times to find out where I was and what I was doing. And at that point, fortunately, um, I had disconnected ties from basically everybody in the states, and uh, I had left the country by way of Tijuana and had been gone you know, throughout this period of time where apparently they were trying to get hold of me. And, um, my mom asked me, you know, flat up, you know, tonight, you know, why I, why they were hot and heavy on my heels and actually trying to come out here. And as I explained to them, as I explained to my mom, you know, I didn't tell her this the first time. I just, um, (laughs) I just said, "What, what did they tell you? Well, I guess you could believe them, you know? I mean, it's my word over them. They weren't in a position where they're really accepting anything I had to say at fate or uh, as as honest at that point because of, uh, well, they were focused more on the drugs than they were anything else. (laughs) But um, now it's a different story. I mean, I've been helping out on a daily basis. I've been Putting things together, I've been cooking and cleaning and doing all this other shit and like I said, domesticated type stuff and everything. So she asked me straight up, you know, what happened? Why were the Secret Service out here? And uh, I was honest with her. I mean I was um pissed off at my country. You know, I had just gotten robbed of effectively of eight million dollars in personal and contract in money that was owed to me um, three million dollars in personal assets were taken out of uh, my various bank accounts and that kind of stuff and I um, was really pissed off um, I had seen Warren Buffett more or less you know annihilate uh, my friends and people I cared about and everything their their pensions and that kind of shit while I was working for Ben Prudential and he didn't seem to give a shit. <laughs> Um, I was contracting for Prudential I was uh, working with the the NSA at that time and he didn't seem to care that uh, about uh, half of my friends and family and that kind of shit ended up getting basically almost their entire life savings wiped away because he ended up wanting to go buy uh, buy a company and everything call it his own so um, that had pissed me off about Warren Buffett to begin with early on and, um, you know, shortly after that, I ended up uh, having to deal with them a little bit with Wells Fargo and seeing almost the same thing happen there. And then um, I ended up getting what I considered extremely insulting job offers with uh, Geico. And finally I ended up taking, you know, telling them to take the job and out of pizzazz, respectfully speaking, of course. Well, I wasn't in good graces with McCain by this point anyways, since about 2007, and now with uh, with all this going on with uh, with Warren Buffett, I I had two people that uh, were high up in power that I was not in favorable conditions with, and as a matter of fact, they, I didn't like the fact that they were in leadership at all, so I ended up, um, you know, just more or less I made it pretty clear that I wasn't happy with them. I wasn't gonna do anything about it other than leave the fucking country. I hated the fucking country at this point. You know, and it wasn't the country that I hated. It was just a couple choice, uh choice people that in my my opinion didn't deserve to be in the positions they were in. And uh not only that, but uh took away my livelihood in the process. So anyways, one long story short, um, you know, I told my mom just like, yeah, the Secret Service came out to visit because I was threatening to leave the country. And uh, I almost didn't want to come back, you know, so they ended up uh, making it clear, you know, that they didn't want me leaving, and this is about the same time that uh, Snowden left. He was uh, looking at going to, what was it, Um, Nicaragua, which is the first place that I ended up going to to seek asylum, and uh, I just saw the country, I said, this place is a shithole, there's no way I want to be here. And the next place I was going to go to was going to be Ecuador about the same time he ended up going there. And, yeah, you know, I saw what he what happened to him through the news, and at that point I ended up turning around and basically saying, no, that's not for me. But, um, yeah, like I told her, it's like the Secret Service came out to say they don't want me leaving. Um Yeah, you know, the country's in transition right now. Yada, yada, yada. And, you know, just... More or less, uh, they also threatened you know, me with um, claiming that uh, they were going to take my passport. <laughs> I was like, whatever. So at that point, I ended up saying, fuck you, and I left. So and that's when I left the country for a year and headed south of the border. Flew down to Tijuana. Took a little metro or metro ride down to, or from, from San Diego, down to Tijuana. Tijuana down to all throughout mexico and then from there just spent a year south of the border and everything now apparently from what my mom said the uh... secret service called uh, a couple times after that and they're definitely kind of hot on my heels curious about what was going on with me and throughout this whole period of time i mean i just wasn't liking the fact that my mom and dad were being involved in this situation any more than than what they were So I explained how I ended up going through the clearance system and, you know, their big concern about me was I had a Q clearance. So basically there's three primary clearances that are actually available to most people that uh, go into the NSA or the CIA. Those clearances. I mean, they've got a whole variety of other clearances, but uh, they've got a major across-the-board clearances. Things that uh, give you a wide array of accesses, uh, access to information at uh, um, at at a non-compartmental level. Now, part of the reason for doing this is just to basically make it so where people, um, particularly people that are actually poised for ma- management type positions, or um, People at uh, different rungs of the ladder and everything, um, make sure that they have access to other information across departments and that kind of stuff, and uh, have vis- visibility across the organizations. Um, you know, just making sure that uh, that information shared and everything. So the, the clearance is our secret, top secret, and the queue clearance. And the top secret comes with various levels of. of CLI compartmentalized localized information which basically says that uh, even though you have a top-secret clearance um, that top-secret clearance doesn't grant you that automatic access to everything that uh, that's labeled top-secret in some cases it's actually CLI based which basically means you not only have to have top-secret clearance but you have to have a CLI based clearance for this project or whatever it is that uh, you're dealing with so now the queue clearance um, is above all this. So basically if you've got a queue clearance, you've got access to everything that's a top secret period in the, in the story. So into CLI, if it's CLI, it doesn't make a shade of difference. So you're given kind of blanket access to everything. So that's actually the access that I had, was a uh, queue clearance. And it took a while to get that, about two and a half years to uh, to obtain that. Now. So that's what I told my mom. I was just like, "Hey, I'm leaving the country," and um, they're concerned because not a whole lot of people are granted the Q access, and once uh, somebody's granted the Q access, they're they're concerned about uh, somebody leaving the country and uh, you know becoming a uh, threat to national security, and that's kind of the reason they're concerned about me, you know. And as a result, you know, the Q clearance is something the uh, president deals with uh, specifically. She goes, oh, okay. No, she understood once I started explaining the whole clearance system and everything. But, anyways, um, that's neither here nor, nor there. Um, I don't know what made me think about that other than the, just the discussion with my father tonight about John McCain and all that kind of happy horseshit and everything. Mom asked something about uh, Donald Trump, and I'm just like, look, you know. And we—it's <laughs> kind of funny—we ended up. Um, getting into political conversation, I'm just like on. I'm staying the fuck out of this thing. So, it's kind of weird at times, you know, discussing some of this stuff, and how I perceive reality, and how others do, and I'm just realizing that, uh, you know, my dad, he's an extremely opinionated, opinionated individual, and uh, I respect him for that, because it certainly gave me my own conviction with my own views of the world and everything, and, uh, with this, um, I've got my own perspective of the world, which is certainly not one and the same as his, and what I've learned is not to get into debates or arguments about it, you know, and, um, just basically to look at these other perspectives and say, okay, I respect that perspective and everything, it's not my world, you know, now, uh, if you're going to bark and try and, make it uh, make it other people's world and everything. Well, you know, you're not going to, you know, win me over through consensus. You know, this isn't how this is going to work or anything like that. I'm just like, that's not my world, period, end of story. So, for instance, the, the quote-unquote Donald Trump wall. Well, that Donald Trump wall um, has been built numerous times prior to that. Um, Last I saw, I passed over that border and everything. The wall extended the entire um, span of uh, Mexico-California border. Now, I'm suspecting this thing, money gets regularly allocated for this, and it goes to various contractors and everything to supposedly build it and rebuild it and rebuild it and rebuild it. Um, They're basically taking the money and pocketing it. That's what I'm suspecting. Now, I myself, I know the wall's there. You know, and uh, as a result, it's just like... I mean, you know, you can you can act like you know this thing ain't built or you know that money's getting allocated. It's like whatever. That's not my world, and you know that wall that uh, you don't see in your in your world, that ain't mine. You know, my world has a wall, and it's been there for quite some time, and it's twenty foot tall and it spans the whole length. So I don't know. This is the weird world, and I see. So what um, what got me started on some of these conversations wasn't just John McCain, but uh I watching um I watched this morning and last night CW has The Flash, um Supergirl, uh DC's Legends of Tomorrow and Arrow, and they all occur in roughly the same universe with different versions of Earth. Now, one of the things I've been doing a lot is putting the energy out there, and I, I know I've discussed it in these uh, in these conversations and everything, putting the energy out there, basically saying, I don't want to see Supergirl fighting. You know, she's a woman, um, not just that, but uh, she's a woman role model, and not only that, but I also want to see more um, more interesting and entertaining entertainment, you know, based on that woman, you know, I love Melissa Benoist, you know, and one thing I'm definitely interested in is having a relationship with the girl, so, you know, so for me, I I like her, she's a nerd, she's, you know, geeky, she's somewhat insecure in her own body, but she's also secure in it at the same, same time, you know, I just like the chick, you know, so one of the things I'm actively trying to do is just basically draw her, pull her into my reality, and, uh, one of the things that's really important you know, in this process is that this woman, um, she chooses first you know, and only as an absolute last resort, and in other words, we will never see it, that she raises a fist you know, to somebody. You know, that uh, she just doesn't fight, period, end of story. Fighting for me is for Neanderthals. You know, now I'll certainly get in between people. I'll certainly threaten, you know, intimidate, and everything. But when it comes down to it, you know, if I have to get in a fight with somebody, um, it it's going to cause massive problems, and not just for me, but for the person that I'm with and everything. I don't care how schooled you are, how educated you are. You know, it's not that I'm badass or anything like that. It's just because um, I know what I'm capable of, and. That's anything. And I don't think most people really want to fight somebody that's capable of anything. You know, most people want to believe that the person that they're fighting isn't capable of killing them. You know, isn't capable of, you know, causing them grievous harm and walking away without even blinking and thinking about it. And unfortunately, unfortunately, I am that person. You know, that doesn't make me a bad or good person. It just makes me who I am and everything. That's why I don't fight. It's not something I want to get into, period, in the story. Now, with that said, um, one of the things, one of my chief complaints about Supergirl is every episode involves fighting, combat. Every fucking episode. Now, this is a woman. She's in her mid 20s, and she's constantly beating the shit out of something. Now, I'm going to ask you this. Why? I mean, seriously, if you're creating this entertainment, you know, let's say, um, let's just say, we'll withhold you know, any kind of belief in alternate realities and that kind of stuff. let's just say, in theory, in practice, this is fictional entertainment, and this is something that's being presented to people in a wide swath of different areas, you know, all the way from people my age and maybe a little bit older, all the way to, you know, children that are, you know, three, five years old and everything. Seriously, do you want to teach women... How to go out there and constantly kick the shit out of people because they have power? I mean, here women, I I thought, you know, particularly wanting, you know, to be equal in status and everything to men. Here I thought women could approach the situation differently. Here I thought women had finesse. Had class, had style, had sophistication had had the intellect and everything to be able to basically not have to fight and instead leverage something else called their mind in order to prevent this from happening now I'm not saying take away her powers and everything, but I'm saying i've seen it all you know i've seen Superman beat the shit out of you know hundreds of thousands of people. You know, of things. I I've seen various different incarnations of super strong things and everything, constantly beating the shit out of things. And it's just like, but what I haven't seen, you know, is really cool things. You know, some really okay, sure. Superman saves Lois Lane and pulls her out of a car or something like that. You know, but here's what I'm trying to say: other than acting like the vice grips for you know, for the same thing a fire department can do, tear somebody out of a car and throw the door off or something like that. I have yet once to see practical application on a daily basis of anybody with super strength. Not one fucking time have I seen practical application of somebody with super strength on a daily basis. Not one time. Now, this is the thing. If you are an advocate of super strength and that kind of shit, other than beating the shit out of somebody, what do you want it for? I mean, let's say you've proven yourself and you've you've gotten to the point where you've proven that you've, you're the biggest, baddest, you know, basher in the world. Okay, boom, you're done. You're bored with fighting now. What next? No, seriously, what next? So in Supergirl's case, you have somebody that represents a feminine side of humanity. Somebody that arguably um, should be, um, in theory, representing the more motherly aspect. Now, I understand this may not be today's day and age and everything when it comes down to women, but there sure are still a lot of women out there. Um, that don't have proper role models and media and everything. I mean, there's definitely some out there, you know. But when it comes down to somebody with super strength, there's a lot of strong women out there. Is the only good that can come of their strength by beating the shit out of somebody? Now, I myself, I know from personal experience, I've seen some badass women. I remember one woman. Um, she worked for a company called Alco. Aweco, they uh, they provided um, over at Orbital. It's a company uh, that used to build rockets, still does, over and based out of uh, Chandler, Arizona. And uh, she would bring chemicals in, and um, basically these big, huge chemical trucks that would bring in nitrogen or oxygen in tanks, and you know, basically we're talking you know these big, huge, tall tanks that are more or less like five foot, five foot tall. Then things weigh about hundred pounds a piece and everything. I remember one day shortly after beginning my job over there at Orbitals back in nineteen eighty eight, this um this woman that looks like she's straight out of uh, you know, Germany and everything. She lifts one arm you know, one in one arm, one in another. I'm not shitting you when I say this woman has two hundred pounds, one in each arm, hundred pounds in each arm. She's carrying them like there, are little playthings And I'm just like, holy fucking shit I Don't mess with her Now this is the thing This is one of the things I don't like about my reality Size And mass Always seem to, seem to be correlated to physical strength you know, so it's, the bigger somebody who's mass, the more capable of, of physical strength they are, and that's not necessarily accurate. You know, because there's a there's a density factor in muscle mass, and this is actually something I've realized. You know, where I actually have pretty dense muscles, and um, that just comes from years from working out and everything. You know, and the funny thing about that is uh, the BMI. <laughs> Body Mass Index, that's what it's referred to as, is something that most doctors have, have used as a standard for weight and everything ever since, you know, 1940s, 1950s and everything. And, and what it is, it's nothing more than a correlation of, um, of mass, you know, to your physical size and everything. It's basically taking a height and width, or a height and, and weight and it, it's coming up with a correlated body mass index. And it's basically saying, you know, based on your height, you know, here's your, your approximate mass based on your uh, physical size and everything. And uh, based on your height. And that's based on a one-size-fits-all, you know, pretty much equation of how everybody looks. Well, my mom and I were just talking about this. And somebody that weighed 150 pounds back in the 1950s, was considered, um, to be very overweight. You know, well, that's, you know, as, as I've gotten older and everything, you know, there's been, I mean, we'll put it this way. I myself don't see myself as being fat, but according to the body mass index and everything, I'm severely obese. Well, I mean, I'm tall, six foot two, you know, I'm, you know, when it comes down to it, sure, I can bench press 250 pounds and haven't done it in years and everything right now, you know, now, but when, and when it comes down to it, I look at my shadow, you know, I look at myself in the mirror, and, well, sure, I'll have some curves in places I don't want to have. I don't consider myself fat at all. I consider myself larger, but not fat. Now, here's the thing. Somebody like Supergirl. She has the capability to be able to lift an entire plane, a jet, a 737. (laughs) Now, if my world had its way, it would correlate her ability to lift, and the woman would weigh on the order of probably 100,000 pounds. Well, clearly no woman weighs that much. You know, but this is a problem with, with my world right now. The whole correlation of mass to ability to strength, that mass to strength ratio, there's something wrong with it. Now, I'm just throwing it out there because I'm, at, I'm wanting you to noodle on this collectively to figure out a better way to approach physical size and, uh, and mass and, uh, and fix the overall image problem. That uh, most other countries have of the United States and everything, Um, just because I think it's the United, it's other countries and their perception of us, you know, and our our ability for, you know, inordinate amounts of strength and that kind of stuff and other things, you know, is disproportionate to our size and everything, and that's more or less why why we have an image problem. It's not our problem. It's other countries and their perceptual problem of the United States. So, with that said. Um, you know, I mean, hell, if I was to get somebody like Melissa Benoist as Supergirl here, the girl's gonna look like a fucking chunk. It ain't gonna look like the same girl, you know, that I see on the, on on this TV show, you know, because flat out, the interpretation, there's, a, there's an interpretational translational issue that's occurring between universes, and it would get fucked up trying to actually translate that image in that mass and that size to my world simply because it's not functioning in the same way that my world is well, I think that that just uh, requires a renovation you know at the atomic level um, kind of like a a review at the atomic level of how mass functions and what I'm trying to say is Einstein's wonderful theories should not be the only game in town. And we need new theories. And keep in mind, relativity, and correlating mass to, uh, to energy, is a theory. So, uh, with that said, Um, getting on to my modifications and everything. (sighs) By the way, Merry Christmas, almost. It's the 22nd, right? Yeah. We're three days away. I've been still digging this new computer and everything. Making all kinds of changes. Uh, got some new tools I ended up using. And I'm gonna post some new ads that I've created over the last couple days and everything. I'm kind of proud of some of these last ones. I ended up doing one, two, three. Um, I've actually been quite, kind of busy. I've got a, a PETA one that I revised, and PETA's perfect. They've got a uh, an ad campaign. PETA is uh, they're the kind of the organization that uh, basically is against eating eating animals. And uh, they've got a lot of naked women. They're actually on their posters in our world. And they have an ad campaign. All animals have the same parts, you know. And basically, it has a, a woman with more or less chopping her body. You know, her naked body. It has a uh, labels on it: round shoulder, chuck rib loin, rump. You know, talking about uh, where they're taking the steaks from. And it says, "Have a heart. Go vegetarian." It's actually a pretty, pretty crafty ad. I like it. And it's, you know, she's gorgeous too. So between the two, um, I'm gonna put that one in my. Uh, I took that ad with minor modifications for sizing and that kind of stuff, and I'm gonna put that in Grand Theft Auto. Not, um, I'm not wholly for um, vegetarian, but I'm also. Um, my awareness of meat and that kind of stuff has also diminished my intake, particularly of red meat, and focusing more on, you know, eating white meats and that kind of stuff, um, in part because of my awareness of how, of animals and on all that kind of stuff, so I absolutely respect PETA's perspective. Um, while I don't have the willpower to maintain a totally vegan diet or anything like that, I certainly follow a lot of ideas and, everything and concepts from it. And certainly respect the organization itself. So, um, one of the other ones I created, there's a TV show that's actually, and this is actually what I'm trying to do right now, is take um, existing media and... More or less tie it to my reality. Now, one of the things I do want to create is a Supergirl um, ad with a uh, featuring a naked um, version of uh, Supergirl, and I never heard back from her publicist or her uh, her manager at all. No surprise there. But uh, I'll probably create one by hand through that. And there's a lot of uh, wonderful, wonderful quote-unquote fakes, you know, with uh, Melissa Benoist and Supergirl out there. So I'll be uh, taking one of those and integrating that with an ad and creating my own Supergirl ad over for my alternate reality. But I'm also taking a lot of shows that uh, are are already risque. Now, there's one show that's appearing in Britain right now. And America... Part of the problem that we've had with our naked trend on TV has been... um, it's still censored, you know, so they're not really naked. They're just, they've got a blur spot over it. And for me, um, if you're going to do a show here in America and you're going to call it Naked Anything, and then you're going to have a blur spot over something, you're lying. Flat out lying to the public and everything. You are misrepresenting what you're putting out there, and that is not not the real thing. So, don't even, you know, naked dating or something like that, or lost and, and or naked and afraid. You're not fucking naked. You know, you quit censoring it. That's perfect. You know, you show people that are actually getting their ass, you know, I mean, showing their ass, their pussy, and their, you know, their dick out in public and everything. You know, you're going to see these things with success. You know, you're going to keep on including the blur spot? Well, you know what? You're going to see these shows come and go just as quickly as they came and went. You know, you're not going to have any any sustainability for a show that basically presents itself as a lie to begin with. So, anyways. Um, you got a wonderful show over in the BBC called Naked Attraction. And this this show's been airing for I think three years now and it's on Thursdays and you can actually see this on the BBC channel itself and uh, it's featuring uncensored you know people that uh, basically it's it's like naked dating um, only the contestant he or she selects from people that they start exposing from the feet up all the way and they're in these like little container things that are Green and purple, and red, and yellow, and blue, and orange. And uh, as these windows come up, it exposes them, and they're all standing, you know, wherever it is that they are, stark naked. Now, a lot of these people, they don't look so hot. They're not great-looking and everything. Some are okay-looking, and some are cute. You know, but the whole premise is, it's about people that are just, you know, kind of like... Basically, it's just like, hey, I like how you look. You know, I look at, like how you look naked. We've gotten over the first part. well, Let's go out and go, go, go do something. I know what you look like naked. Big fucking deal. So, anyways, I've created an, an ad. I put it together myself and everything based on that show. So I'm gonna be including that ad and also include that ad on the uh, on my uh, website and everything. So that's going to appear as a billboard and everything, and it already is in the game and everything. And If I must say so myself, it actually looks pretty damn good. I mean, in this case what I did was I ended up featuring males. I'm trying not to be too biased towards females. And uh, I noticed that I was, so I caught myself and I'm just like, you know what, this is the perfect one where I can show males and it's not going to be ugly. I've got another one I'm going to show for males that's a, a real ad. I found it today, and it's uh, I'm trying to think. So, getting away from naked attraction, that that's going to go right across the street from the movie theater. Now, another one that I found today is I hadn't planned on per- putting any um, any male, uh, or I'm sorry, any perfume or uh, cologne ads up at all. For me, it's just like I'm not a fan of scents altogether, unless it's candles and that kind of stuff. But because in a lot of cases people do um, associate um, high-profile high uh, models and, and uh, in particular clothes and perfume to ritzy areas in general, to nicer as this is what you might see in a nicer area. I'm going to continue with that trend, suck up to it a little bit, and they have actually got a wonderful ad featuring Eve Saint Laurent, and this is an ad that appeared in Quite a few magazines, from what I understand, and it's just basically it's got a nude male next to it. You know, it's a tasteful, it's black and white, it's it almost looks like it's a uh, sculpture and everything. But in my opinion, it's just like hey, if I'm I'm wanting to change the vibe of my city and make it more or less aware, hey, you know, we've done away with violence. And in contrast, we've got sexuality and we've toned down, we've toned and focused and tried cleaning up the sexuality and the nudity and everything to a point where it's not degrading to people, you know, where it shows people, but it's not, not trying to intentionally insult you or them. And uh, that's what I like about this, you know, It's and that's what I'm coming up with for ads. It's basically something that doesn't feel insulting to those who are depicted, nor to me as an observer and everything. And again, it just comes down to if I'm going to go visit this reality and everything, I want to be able to look up at the posters and billboards and shit that I created and, and be proud of it. You know, just like, hey, I created that. Now if somebody's going to give me shit for it not reality and say, oh, that's a piece of shit, I'll be sitting there saying, whatever, dude, let me see you create something. You know, that's m- what my response is going to be. I know that I worked hard on each one of these, and I'm having fun with them, you know, so, and it's just like, I don't give a shit if you don't appreciate what I've done, you know, I do, and I'm kind of proud of it, and that's okay. You know, even some of the ones that I've that I've formulated, that uh, I can't call the material all mine. Um, the pet one, for instance. You know, I've done some resizing. Um, it originally comes in a very misshapen image, and uh, in order to actually get it to fit into perfect 512 by 512 or 1024 by 1024 square. Um, I have to do some resizing and everything just to just to get it to fit, and I have to play with cloning uh, some of the uh, colors on it to be able to make the colors look consistent and the canvas and the background look totally consistent, so you don't see lines and interruptions in it. You know, so even though the ad itself isn't mine originally, um, I'm still you know proud of the modifications I've made to make it my own, in this case, very minor, but I'm also proud of the fact that, uh, you know, hey, you know, TEDA is an organization I absolutely respect, you know, and that's the other thing too, is the organizations and the things that I'm putting in this are, are either products or services and um, companies that I believe in, you know, or um, things that I want to see that are simply not available. So, if I come up with products and ideas versus services, you know, on movies that, that I, you know, Barbie's a good, good for instance. I'd have no desire to see a Barbie that my world would make. However, a Barbie featuring Margot, Margot Robbie—you know—that basically features her unclothed the entire time. You know that uh, in this whole dilemma of living in a world where she can't do what she wants to with her own clothes, and she's tired of people, other other people dressing her. You know, I'm gonna come up with ideas and concepts. And it's just like I love the idea of visiting this world and saying. I'm proud of each individual piece of media that I put together for this thing. And while it may not be perfect, you know, it's my first effort, and I'm kind of proud of my first effort. So, in any case, that was another one I put together. Now, there's another one um, that I got done with that I'm really proud of. Now, I'm a big, huge fan of Virgin, and um, Virgin... Uh, Particularly Richard Branson's story and the whole concept of believing in your own company and, and leveraging your company to explore and try new things with. That's Richard Branson. He, in my opinion, is one of the most important, influential people in my life. Understanding wealthy people. And the reason for it is, he does what he wants, and he also encourages people to, if they intend of being a part of his company, to walk some of the same path that he's walked. Now, he respects people that say no. That's the interesting thing about the guy. You know, um, he may not necessarily find a fit for you in his company and everything, but he respects people that don't necessarily live by the same values and morals that he does. Well, so I created an ad. and uh, in this ad, I've um, I found a girl with a red scarf that uh, is completely butt-ass naked as a flight attendant uh, sitting in between a row of seats, and it's a Virgin Atlantic ad. And she's just standing there as a stewardess, as a flight attendant, if you will, depending on which one you find derogatory or not, if you find it. And in the ad, I have the words complete with a scarf and a smile. And that's it. It's a simple ad that I put together, but I had a lot of fun with it. You know, coming up with the concept and everything. And I was just like, you know... If you go on all these flights and everything, you know, and this is what you see coming down the aisle, you might be more inclined to fly Virgin Atlantic more than anything else. Fuck British Airways, fuck Air France and their uptight behavior. I want to fly Virgin and have a have a gorgeous woman like this I can watch for ten hours. You know, I mean, it just, the whole premise of it just makes it seem like fun. So, that was the fun I had with this ad. So that one, um, it's a big, tall one, and I've had the usual problems, but I've been finding a couple solutions to uh, to taking care of these issues and everything. So, first off, um, I found a tool which lets me um, lets me track texture and 3D model resources based on proximity to my location in the game. So this comes in real handy. So let's say I'm in front of a movie poster, or I'm in, um, in front of a building, and uh, I want to change the movie poster or billboard. Well, part of the problem I've had is, I've literally got um, about... Oh, I'd go so far to say... Let's see, at a glance... Let's see if I can find a little number for you. 98 gig. I've got nearly 100 gig, um, maybe less than that to about 80 gig of data, but I've got about nearly 100 gig of information to wade through and any number of different structures and everything, in order to find the right images and models to make modifications to. Now, before, when I worked on my old machine, and uh, it was definitely a lot slower than this one, making modifications to one simple billboard um, took me the greater period of about a week to finish up to do. Now. That's about when I stopped making modifications to this game and everything. Once I started digging into the billboards, and I kept having to restart and shut it down again because I I didn't find the right location for it. Um, I didn't know about mip maps. I didn't know about uh, how you can actually embed a texture inside of a model. Um, I you know I wanted different resolutions, and I didn't realize that there are different resolutions that used different models. And different textures. <coughs> I didn't realize that the further, you know, if you get further and further away, you know, that there's three, four, seven, ten different variations of the same image that uh, are all different, different sizes stored in different locations. So, um, now, you know, at first it was taking me about a day per image. Now it's taking me about two, or I'm sorry, two images per day. Now, I'm actually... You know, so I've made this a little bit more efficient, you know, especially with this tool where now I'm actually having a harder time trying to find material, you know, and ads and ideas. I'm having a harder time trying to find good ideas to put into this, rather than uh, you know than actually trying to find the locations. So that's actually where I'm spending most of my time at right now. Is just basically trying to find, you know, trying to find and stimulate the creative um, guy in me that wants to create this world to make it consistent with the place that I want to be. You know, so even if I don't end up ever going to this place, which is not going to happen, I will end up going to this place. You know, but uh, let's say, God forbid, it doesn't happen. Well, I mean, I still like the idea of just working and creating a world that, you know, kind of like makes me feel good, you know, to maybe even put on virtual reality goggles one of these days and just walk around in, you know, just look around in that kind of shit. Um, Yeah, I just like the idea of doing that. You know, so that's actually kind of my biggest problem right now is basically finding um finding thinking of material um for the most part in a lot of cases that's original or based on original concepts and ideas that i can make my own you know and the virgin ad was certainly one of them and it's just like oh, you know i've got a flight attendant here well what can i do with her well at that point i started thinking about companies domestic companies united no um america west no they're kind of uptight aka u.s airways um you know, no, uh, Delta, no, you know, it's just like, fuck, I can't, oh, Virgin, boom, got it right there, that's perfect, you know, and then coming up with the format, you know, how do I put this together in a concise format and everything, and, and make it look good, you know, particularly on the big, huge billboard I'm targeting it on, I didn't realize, you know, that all this, you know, thinking about creativity this way is just like, hey, I'm I'm interested in making all the media consistent, you know, with my view of the world and how I want how I want to perceive my world and the feel of my world as you walk through it and everything. And once I'm done with that you know, um, then coming up with the concise images, and, you know, what I did was I started painting that history, discussing the whole Nixon thing, and the, the deep throat, and all that kind of stuff, and everything, and, you know, so what I did was, uh, from there, once I ended up doing that, um, I ended up uh, finding out uh, some other images out there, you know. Just so I was looking for stock images, things that I can make minor modifications to of companies that I like and I, I agree with. That I can actually shift to this reality and say, "Hey, I want your presence over here too." And what we're going to do is, if you've got censorship on in this reality, I'm going to take away that censor. Now, Zappos is another company I like a lot, and they've got a wonderful ad campaign that basically puts uh, has people going around. Driving, or um, you know, on a scooter or something like that, that they're completely butt-ass naked. But they have sensor bars that say more than shoes, you know, over her, over a girl's tits and uh, her vagina and everything. But uh, she's completely butt-ass naked. Other than that, you know, you can't see anything, you know, clearly because of the censored, you know, things. Well, I'm going to come up with, uh, you know, just move those images and find an image of a a girl that's actually driving around on a scooter, take the same exact image, take the same ad, and take away those sensor bars, move them to different locations, and, uh, you know, just basically it'll be the same damn ad without the censorship on it. It's fucking perfect. I mean, Zappos is a company I like anyways, and... You know, it's kind of a funny ad, you know, seeing somebody driving around naked on a scooter without something over, over quote, private sections or everything. Um, that's one that I found that uh, is going to work out perfect. Um, another one, Blue Fly. I've got to find out what this company is. Our website didn't work for me today. Marvelous, marvelous ad says nothing to wear to work and it's a, of a girl on a met uh, on a platform a very busy platform and she's butt ass naked you know with the exception of a purse marvelous 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 ad you know it's just like huh I've got another idea and you know it's based on this so I can actually if I if I don't like blue fly I'll uh, take another girl that walked through uh, Germany you know did the same thing but ass naked through everywhere. And uh, I'll just take a picture of her, you know, and just leverage that for the ad. But wonderful, wonderful concept and everything. Um, Another one, American Apparel. They've gotten really, really, really good about uh, putting ads out there without censorship on it. So there's one with, you know, a girl that's in panties. That's it. You know, she's in panties, and the panties are see-through, so you can actually see her... uh, Her pubes and everything through it. It's just, it's an American apparel ad. And this one is straight from Amsterdam. So I was just like, eh, you know, all I have to do is look to other countries. So I started doing that. I started going to like Thailand and looking for movie posters and going to uh, Amsterdam, going to some of the more liberal, you know, countries when it comes down to their treatment of uh, sexuality and checking them out. And, you know, I. This is actually where I found some interesting other things. Now, there's also an interesting area of, um, of this Grand Theft Auto world where they've got a, um, a whole retro section for movies. So I'm just thinking, oh, this is perfect. You know, we've got our idea of retro section of movies, and you might go to a retro movie theater that's going to be having, like, Terminator and Godfather and all this stuff and everything. So I started thinking, okay, well, the obvious ones I can put up, you know, I want to put some movies that have influenced me. Um, Flesh Gordon. Now don't know if you've seen it. It's great. It's funny. It's goofy. Um, I've got a huge story behind this one. Uh, Let's just put it this way. Flash Gordon was supposed to be shipped while I was working in a movie theater over at AMC Movie Theaters over in Arizona. Um, I was about 17 years old at the time, and uh, it was for every, uh, during the summertime, every, I think it was like Thursday, it was a a day for kids, that uh, kids actually were, that had a movie pass and everything for, it was like, you know, kids that are between 8 and 11 and everything where a movie was brought in, especially for them, every every Thursday, and mom would drop them off, and they'd see a movie for for the two hours that they were there, and they would also get a little you know, package and everything taken out. Well, we pre-screened the movies, fortunately, and um, we pre screen them on Friday nights, uh, no, I'm sorry, on um, Wednesday nights, and a couple of us ended up staying late to pre-screen the movies, and we'd get paid for it and everything. Well, what was funny was um, they ended up accidentally shipping Flesh Gordon instead of Flash Gordon, and uh, as we're pre-screening it, we, we see it right away, you know, he, the projector, he cues it up, and, you know, we see it, and it's just like, holy shit. You know, we had this theater that was devoted to this it was a movie that had let out that they do intentionally and everything. Well, a couple of us called our friends and said, hey, we're going to have a, a pre screen party, you know, at, uh, and when the theater closes at 12 o'clock, that way we get everybody out. We had literally um, at least half the people that work there come down at about 12 o'clock, along with uh, a few other friends and everything. We all ended up watching Flesh Gordon on the big screen and everything. It was just a good time over at EMT theaters, and in any case, this is the type of movie because of I own have my own personal experience with it that just makes me smile. That I'd be putting up in a in a retro movie theater, particularly for this sexually perverted, um, more sexually liberal—that's a better word for it—world, and also, you know, we're nudity is regular and everything. So, Flesh Gordon would certainly be one of the ones I would put up there. Um, another one is Debbie Does Dallas. I mean, <laughs> who hasn't heard of Debbie Does Dallas? Now, I myself, I've never seen a movie poster for it, but I would certainly include that on, that, on there, too. So, anyways, I'm, I'm going to actually probably doctor some of my own movie posters for other movies. Um, one I'm looking at making is um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Making my own version of Fast Times at Ridgemont High featuring uh, what's her Phoebe Cates uh, walking around topless and everything, Um, you know, and come up with some other ones that uh, basically the movies, um, maybe Fast Times at Ridgemont High didn't deviate in in their reality, but maybe something like Terminator um, did, you know, and uh, just basically feature different movie posters and everything for, you know, what could be you know pretty dramatic a different. in different versions of movies that are actually appearing in these alternate realities and everything. So, in this alternate reality in particular. Particularly because the nudity and sexuality is far more allowed there. Now, trying to see if there's anything else that I had. Um, here, billboard. No, locate these. No, So, that about sums it up for the changes that I've made. Um, something else that I found. I also found a tool, which, uh, there's a lot of tools out there for GTA. And uh, that one tool that I was telling you about, it actually lets me stand in any location, and I get a list of assets, um, models I should say, that are in direct proximity to my location. I can actually set the location um, in inside the INI file. And, and, uh, is my mom still awake? No. Um, and, uh, it can allow me to, uh, to make changes and everything, you know, to some certain basics and everything. But the cool thing about it is it lets me trace down at least the block area that I'm in. Now, here's one of the interesting things I've noticed about the design of models within the GTA universe. One of the things, um, as I've traveled overseas and everything, that I've noticed is models or addresses, you know, for houses, for buildings, and that kind of stuff, does not work the same way as it does here in the United States. So, here's a for instance. When I was in Costa Rica, I had a guy that I was staying with, it was uh, for about four months, um, down in San Jose, which is the capital city of uh, Costa Rica, and... (laughs) Um, my mom wanted to send a package to me. Well, I told her, you know, that uh, that basically we don't have an address. She goes, you know, she kind of got mad at me. You know, she th- she's thinking I'm being evasive, and uh, we were already hardly talking as it was anyways. And at this point, this kind of teed me off, and I'm just like, look, this is bullshit. You know, um, I just need to cut off communication altogether because nobody wants to believe me about some of the shit that I've been through anyways. So. In any case, um, what ended up happening at that point was um, I did tell her the address, and the address was we're in San Jose, Costa Rica, and our address is 500 meters west of Hotel um, Hollywood. And that was <coughs> quite literally the hotel name. Hotel Hollywood. Premonition you know, premonitioner, right? <coughs> but that was literally the address that uh, that John ended up. John was the owner of the place that I lived at, you know, for four months. Um, that was literally the address that he had things delivered to. And he goes, "Well, he goes normally I have things delivered to the post office." And he goes, "If it's something really important, he goes, I'll have them uh, FedEx it and I'll pick it up at the FedEx spot." He goes, "But uh, yeah, he goes I don't have an address here. and The address that uh, that I give to people is 500 meters west of Hotel Hollywood." Well as it turns out, you know there's about eight houses um, or eight houses literally that are at that point about 500 meters west. So what happens is if somebody has an email that's delivered, um, people in a literal sense actually go out there and you know or the postman, you know whatever ends up going out there knocking on the doors and trying to find this person and everything. So, but in a general sense, nobody really knows um, you know in almost all of Latin America, where people are. You know, if there's loose addressing and schemes and everything. And in general, uh, your location is defined in proximity to something else. So some other kind of landmark or um, business typically or something like that. That's how people's addresses are. And a lot of particularly south of Mexico and everything it happens in Mexico as well, but it's even more, so, more pronounced south of there. So, that's one thing I found was um, addressing schemes outside the United States the United States is pretty easy you know it's like a house has an address an address has a you know a, a zip code that's associated to it you've got zones that are associated to that and you know etc cetera, etc cetera. well when I ended up going to um, to uh, Beijing um, you know I mean I had different places that I had to go to so you know when I ended up working abroad, And um, most places were actually pretty easy, you know, for the most part. So, you know, I went to France, and France has districts and everything, so in Paris, you know, finding a place is relatively easy. You go to Singapore, same thing. Hong Kong, same thing. London, same thing. You know, roughly the same kind of addressing schemes that the United States has. You know, so these more industrialized countries and everything, places that have accepted, you know, Western sense of uh, organization and everything, are a little bit easier. But the m- moment that I got to Beijing, uh, it was a little bit different there. So first off, the first big thing that I noticed was maps over there were different than they were here. So, and here's a, here's an example. Um, I ended up getting a map of uh, where Microsoft was prior to going there. And um, when I ended up getting there, uh, I had lost that map, and I, at that point I ended up asking the uh, hotel for a map of, of the area and everything of where Microsoft was, and I said, which location? Well, apparently they had two locations for the same facility that I was looking for, and either of which were the same address of the one I had before, so it was a crapshoot for me to actually go to the right one, and I did eventually find the right one. So that was chief issue number one that I had. It was kind of weird. But the other thing that I found out too was everything is based on, not on streets, but on zones. So, while they do have street names and everything, nothing is identified by street names. So if you're looking for a particular building or something like that, that particular building is going to be um, referenced and addressed by a zone. And that zone could be zone 38, it could be zone 29, it could be something like that. Um, Every zone in itself is going to have uh, numbering schemes um, to actually reference the location within that zone of what you're looking for you know so for instance uh you could have um zone 38 and then you're looking for um what was it uh designation number 57 um 5701 you know and then you could have designation number 50 5903 and then designation number um 64407 you know, so not only are the numbering potential schemes of ordering within each zone um, inconsistent, um, but but also if you compare them to other zones, they won't have any consistency between zones either. So I can go to another zone, and another zone might be ABCDEF, you know, or whatever the Chinese equivalent is. Um, I can go to the zone that's next to it, and it could be... FFAZ74, it could be 1273, 3, you know, so every one, every zone, um, it was just, it was different than, than the next, and then, you know, the zone numbers themselves were, you know, good luck on trying to find out who you're looking for and everything, or where you're looking for. Fortunately, you know, Microsoft took up as a whole zone for their own. So that made them relatively easy to find, and I knew the specific division I was looking for, so, you know, when you're talking a big facility, it's much easier to find, but when you're looking for one single person or individual or unit or something like that, it's a lot harder. So, in any case... Um, I ended up discovering that uh, Grand Theft Auto has been reverse engineered originally by somebody or some some group or organization or everything that appears to be Chinese based or at least with their thinking processes. Just because um, the entire thing was done in zones. Now you have a zone called Sunset. Um, you have a zone called Beverly. You have a, a zone called um, Hollywood. You have a zone called um, you know, what else? It uh, the Hills. Now, each zone um, is a major area within the game. Now, in each zone itself, um, I know the rough location of each now, but within these zones, you can have anywhere between, I would go so far to say, um, at the very least, eight different subsections within that zone, all the way up to about 35, I think, is what Hollywood has. And uh, each one of these um, subsections... Um, is partition has assets, three-dimensional assets that are associated with each one, and also three, uh, the textures that are associated with each one. So, for instance, um, Hollywood, um, the H1-02 zone, um, or I'm sorry, Hollywood as a zone, it's going to be contained within the HW.RPF database file itself, and there are several different versions of this, by the way. I'm not even going to get there about that. You know, so you can have many different versions, and the last one is always the one that's applied. So you can have six different versions of the same file, but the last one is the one that's applied. Anyways, with that notwithstanding, um, let's say you're trying to find the I'm trying to find the billboard for the uh, movie theaters. Well, I know. Now, especially leveraging this tool and everything, um, I can walk up and I can see that the gum on the ground and that the trash next to the trash can and everything—all um, of it—has, um, you know, has a there's a, an HW1 underscore two prefix to me. Well, this tells me right away because the HW prefix to it um, to go to the Hollywood Zone. <laughs> So I know now that this is in a hollywood.rpf file, which is a problem that I was having before. I was having a hard time telling where things were and everything. Well, now that I've got this tool, I could tell immediately that not only is this in hollywood with that hw1-2 prefix, but it's also within the uh, hw one .RPF file. Now, once I'm in there, at that point I've actually got to locate the asset. So you know, so let's say I'm looking for that billboard. Well, part of the problem that I was having before was actually trying to locate that specific billboard and uh locate the uh the locate the images that are associated to it Now, I'm still having a little bit of a problem, but this has eliminated probably a good um probably eighty percent of my time that I was investing before, you know, just trying to you know, locate images and assets and that kind of stuff and everything based on location. I had no fucking idea what the what the zone locations were and what, what the zone boundaries are. And this tool's helping me learn very quickly um, how these things are marked and everything. So, anyways, um, now that I'm actually, you know, in the correct file, hw one rpf, now it's just a matter of finding um, which model that we're referring to, you know, with this this image of billboard and everything, and not only that, but which textures that are associated, two-dimensional flat image textures that I've actually got to apply to it. And um, at this point, um, once I turn around from there, um, I can actually look at something, this is something I've just discovered just recently, the LOD models. And these LOD models are level of detail, it's the low level of detail models that are actually contained in this. And if I look at the Hollywood.RPF, it's the primary file for the lowest level of detail. If you're you're to actually be in a plane looking down, um, it would actually be the low resolution models for each. Well, the cool thing is, because these low resolution models also contain the low resolution imagery that's associated with it, I can very quickly zoom down on that zone, HW1 underscore 2. I can look at the low-level models and actually make a determination very quickly what's tied to that model and what images, what's the image name associated with that model. And Once I find the image name that's associated with that model, um, at that point I can actually look for that pattern of that image to actually be in other images, and at that point I can find the higher resolution images. So, it makes it pretty easy to locate not just a low resolution image, but typically at least they're somewhat consistent with the higher resolution images, but they're not always consistent. That's part of the problem. So, it, um, like the, you know, for example, the uh, one I just got done changing today, which was. PETA. Um, PETA's been kind of a pain in the ass just because it's a big oversized image on the side of the building and everything. And uh, I find immediately because it's in the H- HW1 underscore um, O2 area. But I went through all the models and I also went through all the uh, textures that are associated with it. And I found two locations that, uh, that I can change it in, um, but that's it so and uh as i jump back into the game i see that neither of the changes that i've made in uploading the new model or the new texture to these hasn't made jack shit of a difference to it so it's just like fuck. now i gotta figure out which one this is associated to so i suspect that there's always going to be um you know some kind of anomaly you know that's associated with it there's you know i'll be lucky if i get like 80 percent of the time or not, not even that. I'll be lucky if 50% of the time um, things are straightforward, you know, just by the organization of this. But uh, we'll see. It does look like it's had a lot of hands in the pie making changes to this thing and everything. So... In any case, it's accelerated at least finding um, the base area, Hollywood, for instance, and then the base, uh, the base database, um, database file, I guess, I guess you'd say, like hhw1_02.rpf. So it's helped out find that kind of stuff a lot faster. Um, and like I said, my biggest problem right now is just trying to come come up with ideas and concepts and everything that you know I have, I have my my um requirements number 1 it can't be um sure nude is fine you know um sexual is fine but it can't be lewd you know it can't be um it can't be insulting you know it can't to me feel insulting or degrading you know and uh you know for me it's just like i i walk a different line when it comes down to degrading i mean for me being naked isn't degrading you know um you know, but uh, for me, you know, um, having showing sex and that kind of stuff isn't degrading. What is degrading is is that line I'm trying to understand myself, and that way, as I put images and pictures up here, it's just like, hey, this doesn't look like pornography. This looks like you know, like the Barbie one. Barbie one doesn't look like pornography to me. It it's walking that line definitely. You know, but uh, it, it's definitely, um, it's definitely on, on the what I consider the classier side of the line, you know. So, anyways, um, that's, that's actually where I've got my problem now, is creativity. You know, um, I want to come up with my own creative concepts and everything. They've got some wonderful weird movies that, that are already in this game that I'm going to be taking out. Um, for instance, I Married My Dad. You know, I'm sorry. I'm not interested in promoting incest. Um, while the concept intrigues me, it's not something I'm interested in putting in movies and that kind of stuff, particularly in a world that may just be creating itself for the first time. Um, another one. It's uh, got a little dog coming out of the back of the uh, of a trunk, and the name of the movie is called "Bitch in the Trunk." Well, I don't know. It just sounds. Insulting, plain and simple. Um, another one is water torture. The bath is running. Are you? You know, and it's just like, eh, eh. I'll pass on that one. You know. So that's what I'm trying to do is just basically replace some of these uh, references to movies and everything in game, or yeah, in game, and uh, and make my own make sure it flows, you know, with the concepts and ideas I'm trying to promote and everything, and make sure it feels good, you know, to me, personally, make sure it's consistent with my ideas and my, and who I am, at least right now, allow me to move forward, so anyways, with all that said, um, one last piece here, Oh no, I already talked about the LOD stuff. And I fixed the LOD at the pier snapshot. Is that one we're good on? One of the things I'm going to be doing, I already talked about this, is removing garbage from the ground and that kind of shit. And uh, I did get a uh, cool mod which actually gathers the real-time weather from my area and actually displays that weather here or in the game. It was kind of cool when I popped it on tonight. It it was raining. It just started raining outside and... all of a sudden it started raining in the game. I'm just like, huh, that's really kind of cool. So... Anyways, um... Yeah, other than that, not much else going on. I ended up going shopping with my mom and dad, to, or with my dad today. I made uh, like I said, tilapia. I'm going to make um, hoagies tomorrow night. I've got some blackened chicken I ended up getting. Uh, yeah, I'm actually enjoying making food. It's the first time I've really had a chance to cook in a... <laughs> it's been a long time. It's been the last week and a half, or... Yeah, week and a half I've been cooking dinner on a regular basis. It's, um... It's nice Nice having the stove Nice having all the compliments and everything And it's just like Hey, I want to try this out Hey, I want to try that out You know, and also having my My mom and dad is like It's just It's nice actually having somebody that Never had kids myself, so And kids I can imagine I don't know how appreciative kids are Or anything like that And It's nice actually just knowing that uh I'm helping them out. So, other than that, yeah, kind of boring here in this household. Not a bad thing. That whole Secret Service thing, though. Look, guys. To those that are in the involved in any of these and in, in agencies or anything like that. I've always been a firm believer that my world deserves more. I deserve more. You do too. And I first had the sense that um I was entitled to it. And as more and more it didn't happen to me the harder I worked, the more that I started being envious of those who were receiving. Particularly those that were younger than me and everything, despite how hard I tried. I had a sense that something was going wrong, you know, from an early age and everything. That the world that I saw, the world I was experiencing, was something off, something different with it. I got angry with the country. I'll be the first to admit it. And part of the reason that I ended up entering the NSA... My mom asked me this, she goes, um, what made you sign up for the Army? And I explained that uh, part of going into the CIA or the NSA is everybody's required to do it. You know, you don't have any options. You know, in order to basically serve your country in a civilian or a military support capability, you know, you have to go through the same training everybody else does. It's a requirement. You know, and they don't make it easy to get out of that obligation and everything. You basically have to find a loophole in order to be able to get out. And I did. You know, So that's how I, how I ended up getting into the NSA at that point. So I found a loophole. Ended up getting a rare early honorable discharge. And at that point shifted over and worked for the NSA for eight years. So she asked why I did it. Well, I explained it You know, pretty easily. It's just like... It's a requirement, you know. You're going to do six to eight years of service and everything. You're required to uh, go through the same same path that everybody else goes through and everything. It's just part of the obligation. Well, I was so angry, you know, when I first went in. And um, part of the reason I was angry is I was having problems with my ex-wife, and I was also having problems with my partners, and my partners... Um, in business. I was working and owned a company called Touchscape over in Phoenix. And uh, we had 53 employees by the time the falling apart ended up happening to such an extent that I was just really pissed off and I just wanted to see the, see the company fail, particularly with me departing it and everything. I didn't realize how much that the, um, the NSA could actually be orchestrating some of the events and everything. I didn't understand the power that they had over my own life and everything at that point. They had wanted me for two years, and I kept saying no, and all of a sudden, you know, I got into a position where I didn't have any other options, and I ended up saying yes. Well, I wanted to see them fail, and I wanted to see um, my ex-partners fail to such a degree that I just wanted to see it burn in flames. I was angry with the whole situation. I mean, I was going through a nasty divorce, um... I, I say nasty not because it was outright nasty, but because I was just having a tremendously hard time emotionally and psychologically with it. And uh, combined with that, I was having a huge problem with my, um, you know, with my partners and uh, the business and everything, which is why I ended up selling out to a portion of my company, um, or what I own from my company, out to, uh, out to the NSA so I can actually have six to eight years of service and walk away with six to eight million dollars by the time I'm done. Now, I told my mom this tonight. Part of my Q um, training happened, started happening when I first screamed at the TV, you know, back in 1989 when I first saw Q on uh, Star Trek. And uh, he asked Riker, you know, would you want to be a Q or do you want the, my powers? And Riker ended up saying, no, you know, I'm not interested. You know, and uh, I never really thought, you know, about what I was angry with. I just thought that. You know, hell, how can you say no, you know, something like that? I mean, you know, to have basically limitless possibilities, you know, infinite power, you know, but I never thought about the the implications of the decision that I was making at that point and me, you know, Putting out the energy out there and just basically saying to the TV, yes, yes, I want to be able to pause time. Yes, I want to be able to stop time. Yes, I want to be able to rewrite history at a at a moment's notice. Yes, I want to be able to um, travel through space and time at snap of fingers and be anywhere instantly. Instantly. Yes, to all the above and more. I didn't understand what I was saying. Yes to, and it didn't even comprehend. You know, the education I have to go through in order to be able to leverage that kind of power. You know, and one of the funny things I I look at at TV shows like um, Flash and Supergirl and DC's Universe and all that kind of stuff is how how so many of these people, you know, instantly, you know, they they get their powers, whether or not it's a Flash or it's Green Air or not Green Air or Supergirl or, you know, all these people, they seem to acquire their powers and within moments you know, they're all of a sudden leveraging them without flaw, you know, it's all so blazingly perfect, you know. um, Now, one of the things I liked about the modern day Superman was they ended up showing him where he's having a hard time Getting in control with his X-ray vision, he's mortified of it. You know, he's he's terrified. He's hiding in a closet when he's at home and everything. Um, first time he tries flying, um, I think this is in Smallville. First one of the first times Tom Welling tried flying, he ends up slamming into the side of a uh, of a hill and everything. Well, that for me is <coughs> is what unfortunately I I can imagine is probably more the norm of of learning a new power, a new super capability and everything. And to actually have the safety nets of instantly knowing how to actually leverage that superpower um doesn't seem realistic to me. And the reason I say that is is um there was a moment out there where I ended up seeing that desert destroyed and um, nuclear apocalypse all around me. I knew that, without hesitation, I had destroyed the world around me. Absolutely no doubt of it. I saw it, I smelled it, felt it, heard it. I knew, by doing what I had been doing, whether or not you want to point the finger at drugs or self-experimentation or whatever, I knew that what I had been doing had altered the world around me in a fundamental way and literally destroyed it. That's when I ended up trying to commit suicide. Now, that was like a milestone. That was a moment in time where I was basically saying to myself, okay, I need to remember this, to know That not only am I capable of destroying my world, but once I emerge from that, I'm also capable of recreating it too. So, going back to my partners, I told my mom this tonight. I was so angry with my partners, so out of control emotionally. I wanted the airline industry to fail because I wanted the bread and butter, the money that my partners were depending on, and everything try out FQ means one of the first and the hardest lessons I've ever had it's understanding that I single-handedly caused 9-11 to happen I take responsibility for it I did it by accident Anger. There's a lot that I didn't understand about the world. Didn't understand the power of my own mind, the power of my own anger and my own hatred, the power of my ability, my will. Now I say this to you, and I, I don't. I hope you don't judge me for it. Even if you do or don't believe me, it's just like my mom. Her response was, "Well, that sounds like ego." I'm just like, well. I made a decision a long time ago to become like Q. And Q has a capability to, in a literal sense, alter physical reality itself. And all I did was get a lesson into how some of the basics of what I was accepting. I saw it even, even more profound way out there in the desert that day. Out in the desert that day, it became, it got to the point where I could no longer deny that my own mind had the power to be able to influence the world in remarkable ways. And I had to get control of it. Not out of megalomania, but because of the fact that I just knew that I create my own existence. The world that I see around me, the events that happen, and everything. I can try to detach myself and disassociate myself from it as much as possible and believe, lead myself to believe that I'm not responsible for, at the very least, influencing these events. And I can say the same thing to you. You can try to lead yourself to believe that you're not influencing the events in the world around you either. Eventually, we have a tangent point. A tangent point where we meet, where our realities meet. We meet dance. And then... That tangent point causes an inflection point, and that inflection point causes a deviation. One reality, what was briefly one, becomes ten. I may never see your reality again. You may never see mine. You may see mine as fiction. You may lead yourself to believe that I'm not real. You may grow up and get older. You may say consciously you forgot about it but subconsciously your mind remembers everything and teaches you about the decisions that you made and why you chose to disassociate now I am sorry about causing the events of 9/11 but I'm not sorry about New York's opportunity for Reinvention. New architecture. New possibilities. It was an accident. I didn't know me. My mom asked me, and she goes, Does it scare you at all? I said, No. It just made me realize that. I was going to be a little bit more aware. my mind better information, better ideas. The whole drug experience was a um, kind of like a mutual education. Me understanding where I was with my mind and my mind understanding where I was with it. Never since it's just been more, more or less a a blossoming, if you will. Everyone's capable. Everyone is capable. It's just who who chooses to to do the things that I intend to do. Creating a whole new alternate reality universe. Of course you treat it like a game. You have to treat it like a game. You can't take it seriously. You have to have fun with it. Yep, some people are going to want to live there. Some people are going to consider it abhorrent. They're not going to want to live there. Yeah, it is what it is. In any case, this in my opinion is why that war over in Iraq and Iran and all that shit needs to stop. They didn't do this, I did. I believed back in 1997 that the United States was always going to want to be a war. I believed that terrorism allowed them to maintain and continue that war against enemies forever. I didn't know my belief was actually creating those exact same things I believed in. Didn't know. Didn't understand. Flat out, didn't understand the correlation of my mind to reality. That my belief was powerful enough to create those things. I was naive. I'll be the first to admit it. I didn't understand the power of my belief in being able to shape that event called 9-11. It was all an accident, and I apologize for that. I'm not torn up about it. There's nothing I can really do about it. There's a saying. All power corrupts. That's not true. It makes you think differently. I find reasons to love where I never did before. I find reasons to appreciate where I never did before. I find... I find myself... biting my tongue and not saying an angry response to somebody that launches an angry response to me towards something I did knowing that that black hole of reciprocated energy can just keep on spiraling I did ask to be me. And I'd like to say I never imagined that it was possible, but I don't want to say that because I know it's not true, because I did imagine it, and I found a way for it to happen. So anyways, ultimately the last thing I told myself about the Secret Service was, there's some beings that come into existence... ...that reach the presidential level of awareness and everything. And I suspect I'm just one of those beings... And the president sent out his secret service to let me know, in his own way... ...that he's aware I'm here. Wasn't anything mean... anyways, it's almost Christmas time. On that somber note, I'm going to end this for tonight.